coronavirus pandemic has created significant challenges for all of us, and for many, the feeling of a loss of control. In the midst of this challenging environment, we wanted to help you to take some measure of control of your financial life by providing practical financial and estate planning ideas, several of which are particularly attractive in the current environment. I'm John Morey, Head of Client Service at Fiduciary Trust Company, and I'd like to welcome you to this webinar. In this discussion, we'll cover three main topics. First, what questions you should be asking yourself to determine whether your financial plan and legal documents should be updated and what to do about it. Second, wealth transfer gifting strategies that are particularly tax efficient in today's environment. And third, we will discuss how the SECURE Act and the CARES Act impact the attractiveness of Roth IRA conversions. And we'll also cover some questions submitted by our audience. I'm joined today by two of my fiduciary trust colleagues who are financial and estate planning experts. The first is Jody King, our Director of Financial Planning. Jody is an attorney and CPA and has numerous other professional designations. She leads fiduciary trust financial planning practice and has been named a five-star professional in our industry. Our second speaker is Stacy Mullaney, our Chief Fiduciary Officer. Stacy is an estate planning attorney. She leads our trust and estates legal team and has been named a leader in the law by Massachusetts Lawyer Weekly. Stacy, I'll now turn things over to you to kick off the discussion. Thanks, John. I think a natural place to start today is financial planning. As you well know, Jody, financial planning is a critical input to downstream decisions on retirement savings, investment portfolio construction, tax minimization strategies, philanthropic giving, and estate planning. The pandemic has changed the value and outlook for many businesses. It's also changed some individuals' risk tolerances. It's caused people to reassess their own personal priorities, and sadly, it's also caused some to deal with serious health issues for themselves and loved ones. Jody, given the rapid and significant changes to the environment and the outlook for many, I know we will want to share some opportunities today with our listeners and where they can take action to gain control over their financial well-being. Perhaps you could review what questions should listeners be asking themselves that could indicate a need to establish or update their financial plans. Yes, Stacy, this has been an unsettling time that creates an inflection point for individuals and families to step back and consider or reconsider what is important to them, both personally and financially. Reflecting on what is personally important often brings into focus financial priorities. Saying that in another way, taking the time to think through your personal priorities can lead to a clearer articulation of your goals. Once you've identified your goals, you can then create a framework where you review your financial resources in light of your goals resulting in a platform from which you can make informed decisions and go on to create a roadmap that helps you to reach your goals in light of your financial resources. Goals are and should be very personal and can and will vary greatly by family or individual. This is the reason we recommend approaching financial planning in a very customized manner with a focus on making your resources help you meet your goals as opposed to defining your goals. An example of a priority that I'm hearing a lot about today includes spending time with family and creating memories. For some families, this results in a goal to purchase a second home where the family will gather for years to come. Other common goals in include educating children, starting a business, 
retiring at a given age, supporting a philanthropic passion, or making sure that loved ones will be taken care of if something were to happen to an individual. All of us are so busy with our day-to-day lives that we may not have taken the time to really plan. Taking a moment to step back and to contemplate priorities for the first time, or to revisit previously identified priorities and goals, can lead to a feeling of taking control and empowerment. It is much more likely that you will reach your goals if you take the time to clearly articulate them and create a roadmap of how you intend to reach them. In the current environment, it's important to recognize that your priorities and goals may have changed. Your income and assets may have been affected, which can lead to changes in your spending priorities. If you're not comfortable with the level of risk in your investment portfolio, you should be speaking with your investment advisor, or if you do not have one, consider engaging one. And in addition to considering the needs to establish or update one's financial plan, given recent developments, perhaps you can also review some of the key legal documents to have in place for yourself and family members. These become particularly important if you or a loved one becomes incapacitated or worse. Yes, Stacy. Part of taking control and making sure your financial house is in order is revisiting your estate plan. It is very common to find someone's estate plan may be dated or may not reflect their current wishes for wealth transfer. An estate plan begins with a will that controls the transfer of assets in an individual's name when they die. The will often pours into a revocable trust that the individual establishes and hopefully funds during their lifetime. Since the revocable trust is indeed revocable, the grantor can change it as long as they are alive and competent. Among the many benefits of a revocable trust is that assets transferred into it during the grantor's lifetime avoid probate, and it establishes a mechanism to help ensure that the grantor and his or her family are financially cared for in the event of incapacity or death. Another key element of an estate plan are various health care documents that identify not only who should make health care decisions for you if you are not able, but who should have access to your health care information and can detail what your care wishes are. I always recommend that individuals have conversations with family members, both those named in the documents and others, to make sure that everyone understands the individual's care wishes. This conversation helps families support each other when tough decisions need to be made. Another document to include is the durable power of attorney. This document names an attorney in fact to act for an individual in financial and legal matters. You should be very comfortable with whomever you give this power to, as they can usually open and close bank accounts, sign tax returns, make gifts, and among other things, all on your behalf. As part of making sure your financial house is in order, you should review your IRA and 401k accounts, including their asset allocations and beneficiary designations, as well as review your life insurance coverages and related beneficiary designations. You should consider what your plan would be in the case of needing long-term care, and make sure you have adequate umbrella or excess liability coverage given your wealth and risk profile. Other items I will just mention include reviewing your charitable giving plan, establishing your My Social Security account, reviewing your credit report for incorrect information, and you should consider freezing your credit with the credit reporting agencies. This is so much easier today and more important than it was just a few years ago. In addition to all the key financial planning and legal document considerations we have just discussed, We'd also like to cover some wealth transfer strategies that are particularly tax efficient in today's environment. Stacy, I know there are a few you'd like to discuss. Can you walk us through some of the attractive gifting and interfamily loan strategies that are currently available? Thanks, Jody. Let's look to whether there are certain wealth planning actions that may be improved or enhanced during this period of time. So lifetime gifting. 
For individuals who have sufficient wealth to consider lifetime giving, low valuations present a good opportunity to make gifts of marketable securities that you believe will appreciate over time. If it's your belief that a particular stock or holding or group of holdings in your portfolio are currently undervalued and will appreciate, using those assets to make lifetime gifts will enhance or maximize the use of the federal gift and estate tax exemption. As the value of the gift is marked at the time you make the gift, and right now, we are dealing with a time when certain asset values may still be low. Also important to note as we address this topic of using currently expanded federal gift and estate tax exemptions to leverage gifts through lifetime giving, it's important to also realize that moving assets out of your taxable estate will also reduce your state estate tax liability if you live in a state that has an estate tax. For those who live in Massachusetts, this is a very important additional consideration as Massachusetts has the lowest estate tax exemption in the country, in good company only with the state of Oregon, and that exemption is currently just $1 million. Lifetime gifts can be made outright or, perhaps when passing wealth on to children and younger grandchildren, gifting can also be accomplished with a trust. Many choose to establish generational trusts for children, grandchildren, to support education, well-being, certain lifetime expenses, and for other specific or general purposes. So what taxes and exemptions apply to gifts? The general rule is that any gift is a taxable gift. However, there are a number of exceptions to this rule, including gifts which are valued less than the annual federal exclusion amount, which is currently $15,000. As a result, an individual may gift $15,000 to any number of persons without incurring any federal gift tax. Married couples may transfer $30,000 to any number of persons without incurring any federal gift tax. In addition, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 expanded the federal estate and gift tax exemption. For 2020, that exemption is $11,580,000 per person, or $23,160,000 for a married couple. There has been a focus on using expanded federal gift and estate tax exemption given that the higher exemption amount will sunset on December 31st, 2025. So all things remaining the same from a legislative perspective, on January 1st, 2026, the exemption returns to $5 million per person adjusted for inflation. So the current increased exemption amount presents a significant but temporary opportunity for tax-free wealth transfer and recent declines in asset valuations heightens this opportunity. A few final notes. In making a completed gift, the grantor has to irrevocably part with the gifted property. So care should be given to assess your personal financial situation and your wealth to be certain you have retained assets sufficient for your own support and living. Financial and wealth advisors can assist you with this analysis. Finally, while the transfer of depressed value assets may serve to leverage the benefit of giving, if the asset value is so depressed that it is less than the donor's cost basis, it may not be wise to transfer such an asset. Next, let's turn to intrafamily loans. Intrafamily loans are another wealth transfer technique that can be very effective in a low interest rate environment. The IRS prescribed interest rates for intrafamily loans, referred to as the AFR rates or alternative federal rates, are set forth in Internal Revenue Code Section 1274D, and they are at all-time historic lows. These rates, among other things, allow family members to loan money to other family members at below-market IRS-sanctioned rates, 
Depending on the term of the loan, the rates provide for short, medium, and long-term loans. And the rates for June of 2020 with annual compounding are as follows. Less than three years in terms of the loan term, it's 0.18%. A loan term from three to nine years is 0.43%. And a loan of any term more than nine years is just 1.01%. So given these low interest rates, if cash is available and an opportunity exists in appropriate circumstances for parents or grandparents to lend funds to a member of a younger generation at very low interest rates, this can be an excellent wealth transfer opportunity. These loans can be used for the purchase of a home and the proceeds of such loan can be used for any purpose, including investment. If the rate of return on investments is higher than the specified rate stated on the promissory note, assets have effectively been transferred tax-free to the next generation. It's important to note that intrafamily loans must be structured as an arm's length transaction. There must be a written loan agreement executed prior to the transfer of any funds, and the loan agreement must set, at a minimum, the prescribed rate for the loan term. So now I want to turn it back to Jody for the next topic we wanted to cover today. On another front, the SECURE Act, which became law at the end of 2019, and the more recent CARES Act, as well as some characteristics of the financial markets right now, has created other tax minimization opportunities. And one of these is initiating a Roth IRA conversion. Jody, can you describe what the benefits would be and what that entails? Absolutely, Stacy. To understand the benefits, it is first important to understand the differences between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. A traditional IRA is generally funded with pre-tax dollars and provides for tax-deferred growth with no income tax on the IRA until ass assets are distributed from the traditional IRA when they are taxed as ordinary income. Although under the CARES Act, required minimum distributions are not required for 2020, during other years, distributions are required based on your age. Under the SECURE Act passed during late 2019, once someone turns 72, they must begin taking minimum required distributions. The SECURE Act changed one other important point. Now IRAs must be fully distributed out to most non-spousal beneficiaries within 10 years following the year of the owner's death. With a traditional IRA, that this accelerates the tax payments and for larger IRAs may cause the beneficiary to be in a significantly higher tax bracket. Now let's contrast that a bit with Roth IRAs. With Roth IRAs, taxes are paid as assets are transferred into the Roth IRA. As a result, the assets inside the Roth IRA have tax-free, not tax-deferred growth, and no required distributions are required during the owner's life. If the owner meets certain relatively simple requirements, distributions to the, back to them during their life are completely income tax-free if and when they choose to take them. Under the SECURE Act, Assets inside the Roth IRA must also be fully distributed out to most non-spousal beneficiaries within the 10-year window, with the big difference being that the beneficiary will not be paying income tax on amounts received. It should be noted that naming a properly drafted trust as a beneficiary of any IRA can help manage the ultimate beneficiary's access to IRA assets if there are any concerns around that. If you're naming a trust as beneficiary of an IRA, it becomes even more compelling to convert to a Roth IRA. So who should consider converting a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA? After all, it's a relatively simple process where a person literally transfers cash from the traditional IRA account to a Roth IRA account. 
and then reports that transfer on their income tax return. I should note that you cannot convert required minimum distributions, however. Some cringe at the idea of paying taxes any time before the absolute must, but the benefits to doing so should be considered. A traditional IRA is not a tax-efficient asset to inherit since the amount that you actually are able to keep at the end of the day is decreased by ordinary income tax. In addition, for those IRA owners who will have to pay federal or state, state taxes when they die, by converting their traditional IRA to a Roth IRA and paying the associated income tax, they will actually decrease their estate tax liability because of the amount of income taxes that are removed from their estate. This results in their beneficiary inheriting a more tax-efficient asset and avoiding estate tax on the income tax liability. Other reasons to consider converting include if you believe income taxes will be higher in the future than they are now, or that your beneficiary will be in a higher tax bracket than you are. Ideally, you want to be able to pay the associated conversion income taxes from a non-IRA assets. Recent market volatility highlights the attractiveness of converting when assets are depressed. If you're naming a charity as the IRA beneficiary, or if you or your spouse will need the IRA assets to support your lifestyle, you should not convert those assets to a Roth IRA. Stacy, another wealth transfer strategy that you've recently written about are GRATs, or Granted Retained Annuity Trusts. Can you describe for our audience what a GRAT is and why the current environment makes them especially attractive? Sure, thanks Jody. Grantor Retained Annuity Trusts, as you noted, commonly referred to as GRATs, are particularly well-suited for an environment with low interest rates and low valuations. A GRAD is an irrevocable trust into which the grantor contributes assets while retaining the right to receive a fixed dollar amount from the trust each year for a fixed period of time, what's referred to as the trust term. At the end of the trust term, the remaining assets are transferred outright to or retained in trust for the named beneficiaries. A GRAT works if the assets transferred to the GRAT ultimately appreciate during the GRAT term at a rate higher than the Internal Revenue Service's 75-20 interest rate, commonly referred to as the hurdle rate, that is in effect when the GRAT is funded. If market valuations of assets transferred to the GRAT are low and expected to appreciate, and specifically if they're expected to appreciate more than this hurdle rate, this can be a very effective vehicle for transferring wealth. While the transfer of assets to the GRAT, an irrevocable trust, constitutes a gift for federal tax purposes, the value of that gift can be offset by the value of the grantor's retained annuity interest, that value of the amount of fixed payments the grantor will be taking back during the GRAT term. The grantor is then giving only what is projected to be left over, so the value of the gift is determined by subtracting the value of the retained annuity interest from the value of the property transferred. The gift of the remainder is a gift of a future interest, and the annual gift tax exclusion amount that we discussed previously cannot be applied. However, the grantor can utilize this current $11,580,000 lifetime federal estate and gift tax exemption towards this gift. Also, grats can be zeroed out so that there is no gift remaining. A zeroed-out GRAT is one where the present value of the annuity payments over the term of the trust equals the projected value of the trust when it terminates. So there is no projected gift at the end or remainder left over. The value of the grantor's retained interest is determined by the IRS prescribed interest rate found in Internal Revenue Code Section 7520. 
and that 75-20 rate is used to determine the grantor's present value in the annuity. The lower the rate, the greater the computed value of the retained interest. And so that's why a GRAT is particularly attractive right now as a wealth transfer technique, because these Section 75-20 rates are at historic lows. The rate for the month of June is 0.6%. So let's walk through an example. Suppose a grantor is 55 years old and now transfers $2,500,000 of stock into a five-year zeroed-out GRAT. At the inception of the GRAT, and using the June Section 75-20 rate of just 0.6%, the GRAT is projected to be zeroed out. That is, we're going to structure this GRAT so there are no remaining assets at the end of the GRAT term. In our example, that will be the case if the grantor receives an annuity payment each year of $509,041, or over the five-year term, receives a total of $2,545,203. There's projected to be no remainder, and so there is no gift or use of any federal gift in estate tax exemption. However, if the assets appreciate at a rate of 6% per year, as our example demonstrates, in five years there will actually be $476,055 remaining that could pass to your named beneficiaries or to a trust for your named beneficiaries free of gift taxes. The GRAT succeeds if the trust assets appreciate more than the Section 7520 rate. And with this rate being at all-time lows, and with asset values currently at low valuations and expected perhaps to appreciate, these two things come together and make GRATs an especially attractive wealth transfer technique. A few final things to note about GRATs. Key decisions will be the term of the GRAT, and it's generally best for a GRAT to have a short retained annuity term. The reason for a short term is to both, one, Take advantage of volatility in the value of the asset or assets gifted to the GRAT because you want the GRAT to end at a time when assets have appreciated and you're going to capture that appreciation. And two, to minimize the mortality risk of having the grantor die prior to the end of the GRAT term. Also, we want to think about the funding assets. If you're betting on appreciation during the term of the GRAT, you will want to take advantage of market volatility with a recognition that certain assets have uncorrelated return expectations. And you won't want to mix asset classes with different return correlations, as this is going to mute any appreciation potential and waste the wealth transfer opportunity. Strategy is required in selecting assets to fund a GRAT. Given a zero or near zeroed out GRAT structure is used to transfer wealth to the next generation without the use of any federal gift and estate tax exemption, some might think this is a technique for those who have wealth greater than the currently high federal exemption amount. But recall that this high exemption amount is set to sunset at the end of 2025. Furthermore, we can never really see what the future rates will be and how wealth might continue to appreciate or be acquired. So I think the assessment is really, do you have wealth or assets now, which when put into a GRAT, the appreciation you can part with as a gift. Thank you for going through the benefits of a grant, Stacy. I can see where that can be quite compelling. Now let's turn to some questions from our audience. 
The first question, um, the massive federal spending on economic relief efforts related to the pandemic is ballooning what was already a sizable budget deficit. What do you see as the long-term implications on income and estate taxes? And what implications does this have for financial and estate planning? Well, that's a great question. I definitely think with respect to estate taxes and how that affects estate planning, I can't imagine we're going to see um, exemptions um, go up anytime soon. It really gets to how this government spending is financed. And if government is spending is financed through higher taxes, I just don't think we are likely to see a movement of increased exemptions. For, so for those in Massachusetts, I think we are going to be living with the $1 million state tax exemption for some time. And I think while the federal exemption is set to sunset, I think we probably need to keep our eye on changes prior to that period of time and whether you know, changes in uh, election results rather and, and other changes might even move up the timeline for any changes to that increased estate tax exemption amount. Jenny, maybe you have some thoughts about income tax implications as well. Yeah, I think one of the concerns that I've heard people express is that financing this is likely going to definitely not create an environment where income tax rates will decrease and possibly create an environment where income tax rates may be going up in the future. So that's one consideration, especially with like Roth IRA con, um, conversions, and that makes it a good time to do that now when we, when we know what the tax rates are. Uh, another concern I've heard expressed from the financial planning perspective is at what point, if ever, will this impact inflation? Because if this creates an inflationary period, that obviously decreases the buying power of any dollars that people have saved and invested. And over a long term, you know, living to age 100 or whatever it may be, um, that can create some concerns about how are you going to kind of take care of your, yourselves and your family members with the assets that you've saved and how you need to invest those to get to that point. So inflation could be impacted by this at some point. That's a great, that's a great point about inflation, Jody. Another question we have is one that asks, I'm five years from retirement. How should I think about transitioning my savings to ensure a secure retirement? Jody, do you have some thoughts about that? I do, actually, Stacy. Thank you. Um, you know, that's one of those questions that it really depends. And there's no really good answer for that unless you have a much deeper look into what somebody's priorities and goals are, kind of what their spending needs are to support their lifestyle, and a lot of different you know, pieces of that, you know, what their health status is, what their age is, what their goals are, like I said. And so what really needs to happen for someone at that point is they really need to kind of put together a financial plan. Again, that roadmap I mentioned earlier will be the result of that. And part of that roadmap can be, you know, how you should be investing and, you know, how you should be handling those assets and what vehicles they should be in and those different pieces. So really what I would suggest for someone like this is talk to a financial planner, make sure your estate plan's in order and kind of just generally get your financial house in order as you uh, kind of look at your next phase of life, which is retirement. Thanks, Jody. Another question that we, we have is a question about healthcare proxies and power of attorneys. And specifically, the question is, how do you decide who to name as your healthcare proxy or as your agent under a power of attorney? Yeah, you know, that is something a lot of people struggle with. You know, the other one they struggle with is who to name as the guardian in a will. Um, and they're all, you know, you really got to think about what role someone is going to be playing for you, who is best suited for that role, 
and you know who the people are and will they still be around when you need them to fulfill that role so with the healthcare proxy you know the person that you want to name to make those decisions might be different than the person you want to name under the power of attorney because they may have different skills uh, i often see you know a spouse or children named as a healthcare proxy and you know one thing that a lot of people are surprised at is when their child turns 18 as a parent they no longer have the ability to make um, healthcare decisions for their now not minor child anymore, unless there is a healthcare proxy in place that names mom and dad. So really, you need to look at where you are in life, what the who, the skills are of the parties that you're um, you have in your life, and who the best people are to name. And with the power of attorney, you know because of the broad-reaching financial um, acts that they can take on your behalf. Obviously, it needs to be someone that you trust inherently. It also needs to be someone who has some financial acumen that can kind of help make the decisions that are right for you in that situation. I know we often serve as power of attorney for some of our clients when they um, find that that to be the best fit for them. Or you can name you know, a parent or a child, depending on your situation. Um, Stacey, you must have some thoughts on that, too. Yeah, I think you point out a good one, which is very often these are very different skill sets and very different people or, or as, you, as you noted, professionals that, that might serve in these roles. I think the other thing I would point out is what we've seen, Jody, is how important these documents are because as people are living longer and, and frankly living for periods of time during incapacity, both healthcare proxies and powers of attorneys are becoming frequently more and more used. Um, similarly, with we talk about trusts and having revocable trusts and funding revocable trusts. When you think about your trustee, um, that's also a, a, another decision point and picking um, somebody who's got the skill sets to, to serve in that role. Uh, the trustee is also going to be able to obviously take actions on your behalf if you're incapacitated. Um, so another important role to think about. So I think that's the questions we had time to take. I did want to note that there were a few questions related to how um, to approach investing in the current environment that, have, that we've received, um, given the economic and market uncertainties. That's understandable. While investing strategies are not the focus of this webinar, we do have significant content on this topic on our website, a fiduciary-trust.com forward slash outlook. So that wraps up the audience questions we have time to address today. I'm going to turn it now back to my colleague, John Morey. Thanks, Stacey and Jody, for sharing your perspectives today. I hope that you, our audience, found it useful. If you have questions about the topics discussed, please reach out to your fiduciary trust investment officer or contact Rick Tyson at 617-292-6799, or you may reach him at Tyson at fiduciary dash trust.com. Thank you again for joining us today. We sincerely hope you stay safe and healthy. The opinions expressed in this podcast are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. The materials discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and listeners should discuss any proposed arrangements or transaction with their investment, legal, or tax advisors. Copyright Fiduciary Trust Company.